Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. Talking about Psalm 23. All right, Psalm 23. That's what we're going to be going through. We're talking about him being our shepherd. Last week, we talked about the risen Savior. And as we talked about the risen Savior, we said that he made peace by rising from the dead. He made peace between us and God. And then we said that he is our... He is the one that walks with us. He transforms our life. He is our Lord, right? So that means we, we get to go through life. We talked about being transformed. We get this mulligan life, right? We get that, that second chance to, to live different. And he gives us the way to live. And then we said we have hope. But we're going to be looking at Psalm 23 and really tearing it apart and just looking at it and, and going, by, going verse by verse through the details of it. And because this, it talks about Jesus being the great shepherd. It talks about this idea that he's going to lead us, that middle point that we had last week, that he's going to transform us and lead us and guide us and take us down the path that we're supposed to go down. He's going to make our life very different, no longer self-absorbed, but now we're going to love others and care for others, and he's going to give us opportunities and show us the best opportunities ahead of us, and he's going to make our lives so that they lack nothing. What a promise. And so we're going to walk through what that looks like in, in Psalm 23. But before we do, I just want to say a couple things. Every week, for the next several weeks, we're going to give you a little bit more insight on what the Psalms are all about. We're just going to give you a little blurb, a little, little, little two cents worth. What are the Psalms in Scripture? Well, today, I want to jump through, and I just want to tell you where the Psalms are at. I just want to tell you where they're at, where they're positioned, why they're positioned there. And so what they are is they're in, they're in the Old Testament, right? The book of Psalms is in the Old Testament. Now, we don't call the Old Testament the Old Testament because it's no good. Or because it's somehow dated or, or it's, uh, you know, ancient and the New Testament is brand new. I mean, come on, the New Testament is 2,000 years old. Uh, it's not brand new. We call it the Old Testament because it described the Old Covenant. It described the covenant that God promised to Abraham and then to Moses and then to David. It, it, it was the story of the progressive story of redemption that was leading through the years of how God was going to redeem his people who were alienated from him. He was going to pay the price for their sin and bring them back into a relationship with him. It's a story about how he was going to be their God and he chose a group of people to be, and he was going to be their God and he was going to lead them and guide them and tell them the way they should go. And even though they would constantly turn their back on him, he would draw them back to himself over and over and over again. And all of the Old Testament points, it points. It's as if they're sitting there with a neon, all the Old Testament's pointing like a neon light going, look this way, look this way, look to the Messiah. He's coming, he's coming. And the New Testament describes the Messiah, Jesus Christ, showing up on the scene. It describes the, the Messiah living perfectly according to the law, which fulfilled the covenant that God kept his promise, and we continually walked against the covenant he made us. But then Jesus shows up and lived out the law perfectly. Not one mistake, not one error, not one sin could be found against him. And then he died this death on our behalf. Why? Because he was truly God and and truly man. Not half and half, not some demagogue. I just saw the uh, Avengers movie, and there's some weird 
like half and half demigod stuff people. No, this was Jesus, the mighty one, the savior of all. He shows up, lives a perfect life. And because he was the savior of all, he was past, present, and future, which meant that when he died and paid that penalty, that it was good for all those that were looking forward, Hebrews tells us, looking to the Messiah, that his death reached back in time as well as present in time and forward into our time and paid that penalty, paid that price that he would be our Lord and our Savior, thus the New Testament or the New Covenant, for he fulfilled the Old Covenant. The Old Testament is broken up into, uh, into uh, five sections, if you will, right? Uh, the Hebrews would call it the Tanakh, the whole Old Testament would be called the Tanakh, and uh, it would be broken up into five different parts. The first part would be known as the Torah or the Law, the second part would be the history of Israel, how they became a nation, how they, as they lived, their, their, con, their, their judgments, their conquests, everything. It would tell us the story. And then we would run our way into the, 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 uh, the writings, the, the wisdoms, the wisdom books and the books of poems, right? Which is where we're, Psalms, so Psalm 23, are going to be in the writings, the books of wisdom and poems and songs, all right? Then we have the major prophets and the minor prophets, and we often make the mistake of going, major, those must be really important. It's major because of their length and their volume and what they talk, of, you know, the length and breadth that they talk, and then minor because they're small, short, and not quite as in-depth in, in, in their writings, and that's the only difference between the major and the minor, okay? And so we find Psalms, the book of Psalms, right in there. The book of Psalms, is a, uh, is a book of poetry. It's part of the writing category, which is Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Okay? Song of Solomon. Yeah, but unlike our classical or more modern poetry, uh, ancient Hebrew poetry has no uh, distinctive scheme or uh, actuation, or meter, or rhythm. That's not, that's not, the, that's not how ancient Hebrew poetry kind of comes about. Uh, what makes it, it's kind of, uh, it's uniqueness, or it's, uh, it's, it's form, I guess, if you will, you could, you could say that, is that it is parallelism. You'll see parallelism in the poems of the ancient Hebrews. And basically it means this. It's counterbalancing ideas, that are put in phrases, counterbalancing ideas that are put into phrases. So in other words, if this, then that, right? If this, then that. Or, or if not this, then this, right? If not this, then that. If this, then that, right? So it's this counterbalancing idea. They parallel one another through the, the poem. The Psalms are so important and descriptive to our faith that they are quoted more times in the New Testament than any other writing. Than any other writing, they've been quoted in the New Testament. That's how important they are. The Psalms have been and still are considered to be the irreplaceable devotional guide, prayer book, and hymnal of God's people. In the New Testament, we are told to sing three types of songs. We're told to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's how important the psalms are that we were told that as we gather for worship, we should sing 
the Psalms of Scripture. Warren Wearsby describes the Psalms in this way. The Psalms are about God and His relationship to His creation, the nations of the world, Israel, and His believing people. He is seen as a powerful God as well as a tender-hearted Father, a God who keeps His promises and lovingly cares for His people. The Psalms also reveal the heart of those who follow Him, their faith and doubts, their victories and failures, and their hopes for a glorious future that God has promised. We're going to see all of those in Psalm 23. In this book of Psalms, we meet all kinds of people in a variety of circumstances, crying out to God, praising Him, confessing their sins, and seeking to worship Him in a deeper way. Some of the Psalms are laments to God, written by people in dire circumstances. There are Psalms of praise and thanksgiving, royal Psalms, wisdom Psalms, Psalms of affirmation and trust, repentant Psalms, and even Psalms that call down the wrath of God on people's enemies. There's also messianic psalms, psalms that look forward to the Messiah. And that's what we have in Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is booked in by Psalm 22 and 24. I would encourage you this week, go read Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24. And when you've done it, do it again. And when you've done it, do it again. Psalm 23, Psalm 22, Psalm 23, Psalm 24. Watch them Describe the sin of our people, our sin, the need for a Savior, and then the good shepherd, Jesus, shows up on the scene, and then the hope of a glorious future in 24. Let's read Psalm 23 together, shall we? Let's read it together. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, well, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. give you a challenge I'm going to give myself over the next month, right? We're going, to, we're going to be in Psalm 23 for the month of May. Memorize it. Memorize it. Spend it. Memorize. Some of you are going, I've had that memorized since I was 10. Praise Jesus. Most of us in this room haven't. Memorize it. We know bits and pieces of it. We know that first line really well. Or we know the line that says, uh, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? Oh, we're like, oh, man, yeah, yeah, he's going to be with me in that moment for certain. Let's memorize the whole thing together as a church. And then it will be etched in our hearts that we can always recall as we remember who our Savior is. Jesus called himself the good shepherd. For thousands of years, Psalm 23 has been sung. Extra choruses have been added to it. Different music has been put to it. It's been... Uh, Sung with the liars, the liars, the liars, liars, they know how to say it, and the tambourines, and uh, the drums, and all the instruments, the trumpets, and all the instruments of the old ancient world, and the instruments of the new. That came off an album by Shane in Shane and Chain, and it was uh, simply entitled Songs. And it's an album, if you've never heard it, I would encourage you to go and find it. It's uh, the Psalms, 
and that's it. Just the Psalms. And you'll be able to sing right along with Scripture. Let's get into a little bit more about Psalm 23. Christianity Today took a poll of the online Bible platforms, like, you know, Bible Gateway, Study Bible, Blue Letter Bible, all those, right? Took a, 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 a survey of them and asked, what is the most searched Scripture or passage in the 10 most populous countries in the world? In the world, it's not just America. The 10 most populous countries in the world. What's the most searched passage? And Psalms 23 showed up in the top five, uh, nine of those countries. It's always been beloved. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, uh, it has been said that what the nightingale is among birds, this poem or this psalm is among one of them. For it has sung sweetly in the ear of many a mourner in his night of weeping and has given hope that joy comes in the morning. See, because it's been said that the nightingale sings the sweetest and the loudest in the darkest of nights. And so Psalm 23 sings over us and gives us hope in the darkness of our moments. Some have called Psalm 23 the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. That's kind of interesting. Psalm 23 has dried many of tears, bandaged many of hearts, smoothed many of rough roads, and brought courage to the living and comfort to the dying. I have probably shared Psalm 23 at more bedsides and funerals than I've shared it anywhere else. It is a great psalm of incredible comfort. The metaphor of, of God as the shepherd has often been used Two set scriptures that we can find it in are, are Psalm 95, and it says, He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the flock under His care. Another one is Isaiah 40. He tends His flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in His arms. He carries them close to His heart and gently leads those that have young. To say that it's a psalm about a great shepherd is true, but it's more than that. It's a psalm of our great shepherd, the Lord Most High. The author of it was David. Many different authors, although authors that we find have written psalms through the book, but by far David wrote the majority. And he is said to have written this one. Now many of the psalms, we don't necessarily know who wrote them. We can tell by the language in them or the descriptions. We can align them to different people's lives. And it was, we know so much about David's life that it's easy to attribute many of the psalms to him. <laughs> we ever thought that Singing praises to God was for the weak. Or if we thought that singing or weeping over the Lord and who He is was for the faint of heart, just remember that next time you think about it. David, the most mighty warrior in all of Scripture and our history. David, a brutal man, make no mistake. He was a brutal man. Sung and wept and danced and cried before the Lord as he worshipped Him with all of his heart. It's be good for us to remember that. Many people think that this was written by David in his younger years as he was a boy out in the, the pastures and the shepherd, as a shepherd. Most likely it wasn't. But he was a shepherd. Most likely it was written in David's later years, but he was a shepherd. Remember, if we recall back to 1 Samuel 16, Samuel shows up to anoint the next king of, of, of Israel, right? The next king of, his peop, of God's people. And he shows up and he tells him to go to Jesse's house and 
He goes, these strapping guys, these handsome guys, these well-equipped men are showing up and they're all lined up and Samuel's walking down the line. Can you imagine being one of them? They're all lined up and who's going to be the next one anointed to be king? Woo! <laughs> Not you. Nope. Lord, this one? It's got to be this one. <laughs> Not you either. Going down the line, waiting for the Lord to go. That's the one. I don't really know how Samuel did that. Was there a halo sticking? I don't know. But somehow or another, the Lord was saying yes and no to these different people, and it was no to everybody. And all of a sudden, he gets to the end of the line, he looks at Jesse, and he goes, is this all you got? <laughs> I'd just like to be one of those men, right? All you got? Well, I, I mean, I got a son, but he's out in the field. He's out, he's out with the sheep. <laughs> Go get that one. Go get him. So he sent for him, and he comes in, and Says he's all rosy-cheeked from meat out in the sun, and he's dirty, and he's been with the with the sheep, pretty dirty animals, and the Lord goes, That's him. For I judge a man by his looks, by his appearance, not by his looks. Got that one wrong. I judge a man not by his appearance, but by his heart. Not by his appearance, but by his heart. In Psalm 78, David tells us this is what happened. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep's pen. From tending the sheep, he brought him to, the, to be the shepherd of the people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands he led them. See, sometimes we think that even the shepherd's life is pretty easy. They're just out there wallowing around and wallowing around in the grass and the meadows with, uh, you know, with the sheep and just kind of moving and moseying. And I got my little staff, and here I go and get over here a little bit. That was a lot of work, and just take them to the next pasture, and they roam around, and I sit around and go, oh, I'll write some psalms. I'll write some songs to Jesus. No, uh, make no mistake. A better image of a shepherd. Especially in ancient time would be maybe the, the most masculine Montana cow hand, maybe. Maybe what we would think about them, that rough and rowdy guy. They worked hard. There was very few days off. If you mismanaged the sheep, it would cost him his reputation and probably bring his family to ruin. He had to care for and live with the sheep, most often away from his family. There would always be the possibility that he would lose a sheep or two. So he was always on guard, always ready, always watching, always available. So he wouldn't lose even one. David tells us as he recounts how the Lord had trained him and raised him up, prepared him on his way out to fighting Goliath, this massive giant that all of Israel's army wouldn't even begin to, to go after. And he says, are you kidding me? Man, I've been, out in the, I've been out in the pastures. I've been out with the sheep, and a lion shows up to rip the guts out of my sheep, and I took care of them with my bare hands. And then there was a bear. I took care of that one too. Not me, but the Lord. If the Lord can take care of a lion through my hands, he can take care of a bear through my hands. This, this Goliath, this Philistine, what chance does he have? Woo! He learned some lessons out there in the pasture, didn't he? He learned how to depend on the Lord. He learned the power of the Lord. He learned what the Lord's willing to do through a person that's a willing vessel and has a willing heart. A shepherd's nobody you're going to want to mess around with. And basically through this psalm, Psalm 23, David's telling us this. 
He said he's essentially saying for what I was for my father. As the shepherd of his sheep, my God has been for me. What I was for my father as a shepherd for his sheep. What I was for the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as their king. It's what my God is for me. And so much more. It was most likely not written in the sunrise of David's life, but in the sunset. In Psalms 23, there are over 20 pronouns. The Lord is my shepherd. All the verbs are in the present tense. This is a reality, a personal reality to David. He's just not writing something that we should all know in a good song that maybe we'd all want to sing. He is writing of a present reality, and it is personal. This is my God, my shepherd, and he makes me lack for nothing. And then he unpacks what that means. It's been said that Psalm 23 is like a beautiful pearl necklace. And that my God and my shepherd are the string. And everything that comes after it in Psalm 23 are the beautiful pearls. What it is that our God does for us and how he cares for us. Now, Let's get into verse 1, shall we? Let's get into verse 1. If everything in the rest of the verses hinges on verse 1, then let's get into it. It starts with this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. Do me a favor. It'll be the very last slide up there, Kevin. Put that one up. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. That's the only slide you're going to see today. There won't be another one. There's no points. There's no anything else. See it. Understand it. Feel it. It was written in pronouns and present tense verbs because if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, as I'll explain here in a second, then he is your shepherd and you lack nothing. Nothing. You see, all the emphasis is actually not even on the shepherd. It's on the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. We tend to want to tell these great stories, and we still will do some of that, about a shepherd and a shepherd's life and what a shepherd does. But the emphasis of Psalm 23 is on the Lord. And you'll notice that the Lord is in all caps. Anytime you see the Lord in all caps like that, it is declaring the holy name of the Lord. It is declaring the name Yahweh. Oh, the holy name of the Lord Yahweh. It comes from Exodus 3 when Moses is walking through the desert and the, and, the, uh, and the burning bush shows up and the Lord speaks to him through a burning bush and he tells him to go and, and to free his people from Egypt. And he goes and he says, I will do all these things for you and send this message to Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses says, well, who am I? Who, what kind of what kind of authority do I have to walk up to Pharaoh, the king of all, the greatest king, the one that's king over everything? And he goes, oh, Really? You tell him that I am sent you. You're going to walk up to Pharaoh and say, uh, hey, let, let my people go. By what authority? I am sent me. What? I am is Yahweh. I am equals Yahweh. It's written over 7,000 times in Scripture. Very rarely would the Jews even utter the words 
Yahweh, the word Yahweh, because it was the personal name of God. It was such a holy and sacred name, very rarely would they say it. They would use words like Adonai, which means my Lord, or Elohim, which is just a generic term for God, as we would say God. They would use those words, but Yahweh is so incredibly personal. And when David writes this, he is saying, Yahweh, the God of all, the God of all existence, the God over everything, the God Almighty, he is my shepherd. Boom, that would have blown the minds of the Hebrews. That would have blown the minds of Israel to call the living God your personal God and shepherd. What? Tradition tells us that this word was so sacred, this word described the greatness of God in in such a critical way that it would only be uttered once a year and that would be behind the, the, the curtain of the Holy of Holies. When they came and brought the sacrifice for all of Israel, the high priest would utter the name Yahweh. Tradition also tells us as the scribes were, were writing Scripture over and over again, when they came those 7,000 times, when they came to the word Yahweh, which they would not write it out in its complete, they would write it out only partially because they wouldn't dare write the whole name Yahweh down a piece of paper for such a holy name, and we're going to keep it holy, and it can never become common. What does that say to us? Hmm? Just real quick. What does that say to us? The holy name of God, who is the King of all kings, Lord of all lords. How quickly and how commonly have we made his name? It rolls off our lips like it's just another name. But it's the name that is above all names. It's the name that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. That's the name Yahweh. So tradition holds as they got to that and they began to write their version of Yahweh, that when they were done, they would break the pen, destroy the pen. They would go and change their clothes and take a bath and then come back and begin to write again. That's how revered the name Yahweh is. Merrill Unger said this about the word, I am, or Yahweh. That its root comes from to be. It means I am what I am. What I was, and I, what I was, I will remain. And what I am, I will always be. Right? I am what I am. What I was, I will remain. What I am, I will always be. He is the ever sufficient, always sufficient God. This speaks of God's ways, self-existence and self-sufficiency. For Yahweh in the word I am, he is omnipotent, which means all-powerful, omniscient, which means all-knowing, and omnipresent, which means always there, past, present, and future. See, God's name is a verb. His name is an incomplete sentence. His name begs the question, well, then who are you? What are you? If you are in darkness, then I am the light. If you are hungry, then I am your food. If you are lost, then I am your guidance and direction. If you are searching, then I am the truth. If you are dumbfounded, then I am wisdom. If you are in sin, then I am grace and mercy. If you are troubled, then I am your peace. If you are weak, then I am strong. If you are weary, then I am tireless. (laughs) All that he has promised to his people, he will always be. He will not be everything we want him to be, but he will be everything we need him to be. He is our life coach, our guide, our protector, our savior, our constant companion, our sufficient Lord. 
You see, our lives are always in flux. Our lives are always coming and going. Our lives are always getting more and losing. Our lives are always growing older and changing and our physical presence changed and our minds change and everything changes. We're in flux, but the Lord God is not. He is never exhausted. He always is. He is sufficient. Think back to Exodus 3 for a minute. He is never exhausted. He never runs out of what he needs. He is never insufficient. Think about for a minute back to the burning bush. Remember what Moses said? The bush is on fire, but it is not burning. It is on fire, but it is not burning. Why? Because the Lord was in it. The Lord is never exhausted. The Lord is never undone. The Lord never diminishes in who he is, which means that the Lord is our shepherd. He is our God. He is our king. No matter your darkest moments, no matter your biggest stress, no matter the most intense time of your life, the Lord never changes. He is constant. He is always He is. So tomorrow when everything in our life changes, when everything falls apart, when what we thought was no longer, when what was going is suddenly not, and what we thought was coming is delayed for much too long, that it breaks our heart, hurts our heart, and then we feel lost and abandoned. Our God has not changed. He is sufficient, and we are secure in him because he is I am. Always there. Always there. To be is to be Yahweh. He is the good shepherd that you can trust. The question we have today is, do you trust him? As we get started in this series of working our way through Psalm 23, do you trust him? Is he your I am? Is he your I am? Is he your ever-present Lord in every circumstance? There was a missionary, his name was Frank Hardwick, and he wrote this very simple poem. God is, I'm his, he's mine, all is fine. One more time. God is, I'm his, he's mine, all is fine. For the Lord, because of who he is, Is my shepherd, I lack nothing. You see, because in him, we have everything. What's the greatest need in our world today? Sufficiency and security. Everybody's looking for it. We want more. We want more. We just want to be sufficient. We want our lives to be sufficient. We want there to be enough. So we go after it, we go after it, but it seems fleeting. And even when we get enough, it doesn't quite seem like it's enough, and it just seems fleeting. And yet the Lord, our God, the I am, is sufficient in every moment of our life. And he is secure because he is unchanging and never-ending. Ted Turner, in an interview, said this about success is fortune and fame. He said, success is an empty bag. It always leaves me wanting. Our Lord, the Good Shepherd, is sufficient and secure. A pastor was at a conference and he saw a longtime member of his congregation that had moved away. And he asked them, he said, hey, how, how are you doing? They began to have some general pleasantries, exchange them back and forth. <laughs> and he's, then he said, I just lost everything. I just lost it all. What do you mean you just lost everything? The fires that swept through Southern California, I lost it all. 
my home, everything in it, all that we had, we lost it. He prayed real quick, this pastor did, what do you say to a man who lost everything? And so he prayed and asked the Lord for wisdom. And then he simply said this, how are you holding up? How are you making it? (laughs) He said, pastor, with a giant smile on his face, I have the good shepherd. I lack nothing. When you know the personal God that David knew, who is Jesus Christ. Remember, he called himself the good shepherd. Who is Jesus Christ when you know him? No matter what your darkest moment is, no matter what is lost in this life, you know for certain you have never lost, never will lose the one who is all, Jesus Christ. We lack nothing when we have him. Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you for the security and the sufficiency that we have in Jesus. Thank you that you are all things and you fill us up. And in this world, we might lose all things, but in you, we have everything. Thank you for being our God and bringing security into our lives that we will always have tomorrow with you. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Memorize Psalm 23. If you need prayer, we'll be up here.